I'm Candace Lim, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And you may notice that my beloved co-host Rachel is not here today. It's sad, but I'm hearing some reports that she's actually filming the next season of The Bachelor. That's right. She got the first impression rose. She's doing really well. Reality Steve, scoop that. But I'm actually kidding. Rachel is on a very well-deserved vacay. And uh, the dispatches, the telegrams she's been sending, they all say she's having a good time. That's okay. Because today, we have someone who has swam. Okay, and the ICY my Kool-Aid before, but this is my first time meeting him. It's Slate's business and tech writer, Natish Pawa. Hello, Natish. Hi, Candace. So great to be with you today. Uh, R.I.P. Rachel and lost to The Bachelor. Hey, look, all of us really just want to be influencers of Bachelor Nation, right? It is true. It is true. You make a lot of money, I hear. I hear. Natish, very excited to meet you. I want to start slow. What are you up to this weekend? What are you looking forward to? What's going on? Uh, so actually, I am going to be flying into Chicago on Sunday and staying there in the Midwest for about a week or so, going on my own little vacation. No bachelor scouting for me. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. But I'm uh, very excited to see some family, friends there. It's also my sister's birthday. We're going to be oh, celebrating. It's good times. Hey. What about you? You know, for me, I'm just still getting over this long weekend we just had. Of course, I'm one of those people that complains about having four days off, three days on. But um, I really love that you mentioned Chicago because I actually have an announcement to make. Natish, I'm really glad you're here. Okay. Oh, boy. I have to announce that I am officially having a Chicago girl summer. Yes. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, I have never been to Chicago, nor what? do I live there. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I have been watching a lot of shows lately that take place in Chicago. Um, you know, mm. everyone is catching up with the second season of The Bear. We know, we know. Richie Hive all day. But <laughs> I have been also binging a show called Southside. Tish, do you know the oh. show? Oh, my God. I love the show so much. And one of my biggest beefs with the new Max mm -hmm. uh, regime is that they canceled it so prematurely. That, that that was one of the best comedies on here. Come on. I know. Yeah, and I feel so bad because, of course, I'm the person who jumps on a show that needed my support earlier, you know? But <laughs> I have been binging Southside. It's three seasons on Max, like Natish said. And I would kind of describe it as, like, The Simpsons, but for this very tight-knit, quirky, eclectic community in Chicago. I mean, I love it because I compare it to, like, the first season of Atlanta, but it's not too dark. It's very funny. It's very real. A lot of great characters. And I highly recommend the show, but I'm really glad you like the show. It's a... It's a signifier of good taste, Natish. Congrats. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Let's move forward here. You know, it's summer. What's been like your favorite song of the summer so far? Anything stuck in your head this week? Absolutely. Um, I've been loving the new singles from Georgia Smith this mm. year, especially the song Little Things. I have a feeling I'm going to be playing that quite a bit <laughs> at various clubs over the summer. <laughs> what about you? Do you remember a song called Blue, parentheses, 
Dabadi and parentheses <laughs> came out in 1998 by a group called Eiffel 65. Heard of them? That's a name I have not heard in a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, top 40 culture is sample culture. And recently, two pop icons of our generation, they have sampled that song, okay? So uh, the melody that is stuck in my head this week, it is none other than I'm Good by David Guetta and BB Rexa. Oh, yeah, I've definitely heard this. Oh, yeah. Natish, what are your thoughts? What are your reactions? I mean, hey, I am fully here for creative reinterpretations of good songs from the past. I have a little beef with David Guetta because of his (gasps) whole AI Eminem thing, but it's fine. Yeah, I mean, David Guetta is a very prickly person in culture, okay? Let us not forget, (laughs) let us not forget when he said shout out to George Floyd's family and he played Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream over. Over Oh my God, right. (laughs) Oh my God. It was insane. No, it was insane. This man is wild. Um, And, you know, just something for the listener to know is that my music taste is unfortunately like Zac Efron mixed with recently eliminated Love Island contestant. Like put those two in a Spotify rap. That is me. (laughs) It's a lot of dancing in a sweaty basement or standing on top of a Jeep with your hands up, but no seatbelt. It's a lot of that. Okay. Mm, I see. I see. Natish. I just want to say I'm really glad you're on the show today because you wrote this really great article, okay? And it's called Steve Huffman Wants to Be God of the Mods. And it's about the CEO of Reddit sparking some controversy, basically causing users to like boycott the site for about three days in June. And I want to talk about this blackout. I think it's one of the biggest tech stories of the summer. I want to talk about why Reddit is flopping right now. And I really want to get your best prediction of the site's future. So we're going to talk about all that and more after the break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. And we're back with Nitish Pawa. He's a business and tech writer for Slate.com. Okay. 
So, Natish, I have so many questions about your article that you wrote about users recently protesting Reddit, the website. The story that you have written, it may have affected me personally, okay? Because on June 12th, all right, I went Mm -hmm. on selling Sunset subreddit. Mm. Nothing. There was nothing new. It hurt. And then I went on Bath and Body Works subreddit. Oh, this is where the knife drew in because there was like a huge sale going on at the time and so i was like oh my god there's no new hauls there's no new coupons i'm not getting candle photos what is happening i'm going crazy and so i feel like this is proof that the blackout worked because i went a little stir crazy i didn't know where else to get my fix some may say oh definitely and it absolutely worked during that time i mean usership was down time spent on reddit was down ad rates and visits to the portal were down like All around, Reddit definitely took a hit. I mean, the whole site went out. And Google even got a little bit of that blowback. It was... It was huge. So let's take a step back. Natish, I'm going to start here. Can you do me a favor? Can you explain to us what happened from June 12th to 15th on Reddit? And can you kind of explain why we're even talking about Reddit today? The reason we're talking about Reddit is some huge changes have come for the website. And... A lot of what we were talking about with that uh, 48-hour period blackout was happening in response in anticipation of those changes. Back in April, current Reddit CEO Steve Huffman, who also co-founded the site back in the day with Lux Sohanian and Aaron Swartz, he said that Reddit would now be charging access for its API, which is the application programming interface. But... Soon, other app developers found out that it was going to be a gargantuan price for some of them. The developer behind the app, uh, Apollo, which a lot of Redditors use to actually browse the app because they hate Reddit's own uh, iOS app. Mm -hmm. And a lot of moderators also use it. They find it very conducive to their duties. So the Apollo guy told people on Reddit, like, hey, so these charges are going to run me up like $20 million a year, and I just can't afford that. So once this goes into effect, I'm going to have to shut down. And other third-party apps that serve similar purposes for Reddit said similar things. And a lot of Redditors got very, very upset. And a lot of moderators were really upset because he hadn't been like, transparent with them about new moderation tools or updates to the website and a lot of them were also upset that like he laid out this like plan to help improve moderation processes and bots and whatnot and he clearly was not focusing on that and was going to just charge a lot of supplemental reddit apps out of existence altogether Finally, when it became clear to a lot of these users that Huffman was not going to back down on this pricing change and on other things, they decided, okay, let's just do this 48-hour blackout all in uh, solidarity. And 9,000 subreddits, many of them, some of like the biggest ones across the site, they went black. They just did not allow anybody to view anything on their communities totally private. As I mentioned before, traffic crashed, ad rates crashed, all of that. Then the 48-hour period completed, and there's still a few thousand that are continuing the blackout, and others decided to open up their communities with very pointed messages at Steve Huffman, 
whether they were open letters or they were gifts or jokes makes at Huffman's expense. You know, you mentioned this big bad. His name is Steve Huffman, and Huffman was one of the original co-founders of Reddit. He actually, like, coded the site, whereas, like, Alexis Ohanian was going for funding and all that stuff. So, Steve, he left in 2009. Then he came back in 2015 as CEO, following this, like, really difficult time for Reddit. Um, It was when then-CEO Ellen Powell was, like, barraged with just sexist, racist backlash on the site. And so fast forwarding to now, you know, in April 2023, Steve Huffman, he announces that Reddit is going to start charging third party apps, bots and companies for using Reddit's data API. So I think I need you to define like some terms for me. Okay, the first one is what's a third party app that would use Reddit like this? Can you give us an example? So There were quite a few like sort of ramshackle uh, mobile apps for Reddit because for a long time, the site did not have its own mobile apps for iOS, for Android. And when they did finally make an app, I think it was around 2016, no one liked it. Mm -hmm. And so with all these other supplementary third-party apps, Reddit is fun. There is Apollo, Boost for Reddit. Basically, all of these apps like provided what a lot of Reddit users thought was a much more intuitive experience for browsing and using Reddit. And if you were a moderator, especially, you had custom tools on there to help you out with your job. These apps were basically like, okay, well, if we're now going to have to start paying for the Reddit data we depend on to make these apps work with Reddit the way we want them to, then that's going to take a toll on our finances and that's not sustainable for us. Maybe a good comparison is like people using TweetDeck for Twitter. Yes, exactly. So second term is data API. What does this look like on Reddit? Like how would I describe this or know it's being like seen slash used? A lot of it is the code of Reddit and a lot of it is also like drawing on the actual building blocks of Reddit itself. So the data API in particular is referring to pretty much everything that's been posted on the site. All the links, all the comments, all the upvotes, downvotes, what have you. When places like OpenAI or Reddit is fun were drawing on the data API, they were basically turning to that resource in order to incorporate all those comments, all those posts, all the other features very easily into their own interfaces. Like they could do it in mass, they could do it in bulk. And that saves a lot of time, obviously, over, say, going to your favorite subreddit and copying and pasting every single comment that Mm -hmm. you could come up with. Does this include like auto moderators? So like when you see a post, there's like an automatic message underneath being like, don't be mean, something like that. Yes, absolutely. A lot of the bots you see for moderation or for comments or for other purposes, those all depend on Reddit's API. And I should clarify that Huffman did say that there are quite a few like moderator bots or other tools like that that would be exempt from the API pricing. But people were still very unhappy about the fact that a lot of the third-party apps would shut down. Now, you did mention that artificial intelligence or AI is starting to come into play here because ChatGPT 
has been using Reddit discussions to train itself, studying Reddit threads to like emulate how people talk on the internet. What does that mean? ChatGPT depends on something called a large language model, which to really just try to simplify it down for this discussion is a lot of data put together and stored. They use all that text that's stored in there. So that's Reddit conversations, it's Slate articles, it's pages of books, it's almost every like sort of public uh, data source you could find on the internet. The neural network that powers ChatGPT uses all of that to basically detect patterns. They're like, okay, we see this word here, or we see this term here in this context. What's usually surrounding that? What might come next after that? Mm-hmm. And so looking at these Reddit conversations, these systems can learn, oh yeah, this is how people may use the word lackadaisical, say, and what they might use uh, coming after that. Basically a very, very advanced predictive text mechanism, if you will. This makes sense. Now, Natish, this is where I need you to connect the dots a little bit for me. I think I understand that Steve is mad that ChatGPT is using his company, his product for free to make their own product better. Why are Reddit users mad about this? Because not every user is a huge third party app. They're not a bot. They're not a company. They're just people also using Reddit for free. So what's their gripe with this? moderators are working for free just all the time. And they're putting in a lot of time and effort into this thing. And there is just, I think, something to a lot of them about having a lot of their own like work and their writing and like the tools that they use being co-opted by this big behemoth AI company whose CEO... Incidentally, who's a big uh, investor in Reddit from a long time mm-hmm. ago, just this guy taking all their free labor, using it to train his big models that then get him a ton of money from Microsoft and other big tech companies and investors. It's one thing if the API costs money, like, sure, whatever, like, they'll make it work with their moderator bots or whatever, as long as there's some semblance of a plan as to how it will work, what the structure will be, etc. What a lot of Reddit moderators did not like was that there was no transparency on what the actual cost would be. And they only found out when the Apollo developer came onto Reddit and was like, hey, so this is actually like really, really expensive, like too much for me. Then a lot of moderators were upset because they were like, hey, wait, this is not what we signed up for. We didn't expect to be just like sprung upon with this huge price tag for our services. What gives, Steve? And Mm -hmm. from there, it just kind of ballooned into all sorts of anger and speculation. I think I'm kind of linking it together, which is that let's say you are like a regular user of Reddit, you use Apollo. So this is your tweet deck to use Reddit. You love it. Wonderful, wonderful. Steve Huffman says, hey, Apollo, I'm going to charge you a million, trillion, billion dollars to (laughs) even access and use Reddit. Apollo's like, 
I don't have the budget, as you said, rising interest rates. So Apollo's like, I'm so sorry, guys. I think we're going to just shut down the app. If you use this, I'm so sorry. You got to find another way. And users are mad at that because they're like, oh, my God, that's literally Steve Huffman's fault. It's giving landlord. It's just not the good vibe. And I don't get to use Reddit the way I want to because chat GPT is just scraping this barrel that I also contribute to. And by the way, at the end of all of this, at the end of like all this API pricing plan stuff, you know, Reddit users still don't get really paid, right? For like any content they put on the site. You basically nailed it. That's uh, that's where we're ending up here. And yeah, a lot of people are still very upset about this. I have to also deduce that this maybe comes down to pressure from investors to make Reddit profitable. Now, is Reddit profitable? Like, do they make money? And if so, how? They are not profitable. Great. Not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a lot of money from primarily it's advertising, seeing the ad, clicking on it, whatever. And they have other revenue sources, too, like I mentioned, the subscription tier. But Mm. again, that's not a lot of people actually use that for that to make up any difference. The interesting thing with Reddit, too, is that, for one, they do not have anywhere near the stranglehold on the digital ad market that, like, Google, Facebook, Amazon have. Two, they also just don't make anywhere near as much money overall. So that alone is like a lot for Steve to try to make up for. So I'm sensing some impending pressure not to use Ocean Gate language, but I'm hearing implosion. (laughs) I'm feeling implosion. And because of that, I think this is a great place to take a quick break. But when we come back, Natish is going to help me dive more into Reddit's impending future. And unfortunately, Elon Musk is going to enter the chat. But we're going to talk about if Reddit is about to hit a Twitter-like catastrophe. All that and more after the break. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check. On Vibe Check, we talk about everything. News, culture, and entertainment, and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show, from real-life issues like grief to music and movie critiques. And that barely scratches the surface. Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat, Come to Life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, listeners. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If today is your first time listening, then welcome, because we're thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays from our friends over at What Next TBD. Look, this episode, it's got fraud, sped up songs, and TikTok. So go ahead and take a listen. And we're back. 
All right, so Natish, we're talking about Reddit. We're talking about how they make no money. They're broke like my cousin. So <laughs> when we think about Reddit as a company, you know, you mentioned that Steve Huffman, he was just a coder. Like he really didn't have any intentions of being a CEO, a leader, a manager. And now all that stuff is kind of coming to head. Reddit is valued at like $10 billion right now, but they are considered a freemium platform, right? So that means you don't really need to pay to use it, even though there is a paid tier. But this free tier is kind of the thing that's sinking them. It's making it harder for them to make money. So I want to ask you, how does Elon Musk feel about everything going on with Reddit? How does he enter the chat? While a lot of tech CEOs were coming to terms with the high interest rates era that we're in right now, Mm -hmm. a lot of them saw what Elon Musk did with Twitter when he took over last October. He immediately fired like thousands of people, let go of a bunch of other contractors and such. He cut down on like data storage, data server capacity, and just tried to trim everywhere he could, just like on a whim and see Mm -hmm. how that would shake out. But A lot of tech CEOs, unfortunately, I think did look at that and were very much, for lack of a better word, salivating over it. Hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, like if uh, Elon can make this work, then we can, too. And we'll we'll just start cutting people left and right and just doing this uh, brute force, hardcore thing. We're working around the clock like, yeah, this will be how we save ourselves. Now, I obviously don't need to explain to you that this is not how you save yourself. I mean, (laughs) Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter and he owes $13 billion of that to a bunch of big banks that are going to be charging very high interest on those loans. And none of the stuff like the subscriptions for the blue checks or he's also put a paywall on Twitter's API that's also affected TweetDeck and other like none of these things are anywhere near close to making up the budget deficit. But somehow, because a lot of these people still trust Elon, <laughs> including Steve Huffman, he like had a conversation with Elon about running a social media company. And he came away from his conversation with Elon convinced that Twitter was now breaking even not true, not not mm-hmm. even close to true, mm-hmm. but he cited that and he was like, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. You know, in your article, there's this great part where you talk about an interview Steve Huffman did with Kara Swisher and Steve said, we weren't hiring. We were in the press for all the wrong reasons. Our users were in open revolt. LOL. Similar times. <laughs> and, you know, when we talk about tech companies, social media companies, And trying to make money, you know, one of the ways they do that is by going public, you know, uh, becoming a public traded company, stock market, ring the bell, get Insta, great. Now, first off, as we speak, is Reddit a public company? No, they have still not gone public. Okay. And have they ever tried filing for an IPO? They have the papers in to the SEC, but they've just never gone into it because so when they filed with the SEC... They were seeking a $10 billion valuation. And a lot of people who had invested in Reddit and contributed to its net worth, one major investment firm, actually, Fidelity, Mm. has reduced its stake in Reddit twice now over the course of this year, which in turn 
leaves Reddit in a much less uh, lucrative position, if you will, going into this IPO. Like they just, they don't have the investor confidence or the money to make it over that hump just yet. Right. It's like not a $10 billion company anymore. And that number is getting lower and lower as we speak, right? Yeah, exactly. I just think it's so interesting because another point that I'm gleaning from your article is just the fact that Reddit holds a very special place, I think, in the heart of social media and the landscape. You know, to me, Reddit is a coder's website. I guess the open forum and platform that coding is and this type of idea is kind of how Steve Huffman came up, right? Like he just wanted to code something and he wanted it to be free access. He wanted Reddit to be not a company, right? Like you said, he wanted it to Mm -hmm. be a tool, a thing, something good. And now we're kind of in this place where reddit has turned it's turned many times before steve huffman but with that being said in your personal opinion like what do you think about steve's leadership since 2015 like has he done any good in general i do think he has made some pretty solid moves since he first joined the reins at reddit and i know there are people who on reddit who would disagree with me on that and i respect that but i do think that He did do a great job, at least early on, really trying to ring it together like, okay, look, there is this whole toxic uprising against our CEO. That wasn't cool. We're uh, going into this very fraught election cycle, where which is already influencing online communities in so many ways, just bringing out so many trolls and so many toxic sentiments. Like, look, We want people to be here. We don't want to kick anybody out willy-nilly. But if you are, like, you know, inciting violence or if you are just, like, spreading hate for the heck of it and you are purposefully making this a worse place for other Reddit users and also advertisers, uh, we're just not going to stand for that. And so he really did take a pretty big gander in, like, scrubbing a lot of pretty awful communities and users that had really cheer-led the uprising against uh, Ellen Powell. And I give him a lot of credit for that because I was there on Reddit when that Powell backlash was happening, and Mm -hmm. it was just one of the most sickening things I've ever seen. So for him to clean it up is not a small thing. Now, did he always do a perfect job? Definitely not. And I think throughout that time also, he would probably admit as well that he was still never the businessy, backslappy type. He always credited Alexis Ohanian with being the guy who like would shake hands while he sat in the back and kind of fix things, patch things, whatnot. But um, he he really did like I think not only take action, but. He also explained a lot of the actions to the wider Reddit community. He talked about it with journalists like Kara Swisher and others. And he made it clear that, like, look, you know, this is not my ideal way of going about this, but this is why I did it the way I did it. And, you know, I think whatever you make of the decisions he made during that time, I think it was smart of him to be so bold there. Now, that being said... One of the developments since my piece was published is there are a lot of subreddits that 
continued their protests in mm-hmm. different ways, whether they were staying blacked out, whether they were making their community not safe for work, quote unquote, which prevents advertisers from using those spaces. You know, he was just cracking down like, okay, if you're doing this, I'm taking you out. We're getting you out of here. You're banned. Uh, You're no longer taking charge of this community. Sorry, not sorry. He also like disparaged a lot of these protesters to the press. Like he was going around telling The Verge and other outlets like, hey, no, this is like a small toxic minority of people. This is not most of Reddit, like, this this is just, uh, they're just giving me more trouble. Like, he was describing it a lot in the same way as he would talk about the people who rose up against Ellen Powell, which I thought was interesting because these are very, very different protests. Is it true that he silent edited comments about himself? Yeah. What does that mean? This is back uh, when he was trying to figure out what to do with the Donald Trump subreddit. Sure. There were a lot of people in there kind of shit talking him and his outlook and approach on things. And so he would replace all mentions of his name specifically with other names, other terms and stuff. And so whenever like you'd see the published comment now where you would normally type like Steve Huffman or Huffman or whatever, you'd see something else entirely that completely changes what your sentence means, who you're referring to. And I think this left a lot of uh, users pretty disoriented. Um, Not that I feel terrible for the Trump subredditors, but they were kind of lashed out at by Steve in a very non-transparent kind of sneaky way, which in retrospect kind of feels like a predictor for what he'd do later. You know, I think what I've taken away from this conversation with you, Nitesh, is that two of Huffman's biggest mistakes were probably one that he tried to like install a payment plan without any warning. And he just like assumed people would be okay with Reddit just overhauling the full experience on short notice. And then maybe the second thing is that Huffman pretty much actively worked against Redditors and protesters instead of working with them to, you know, reach some sort of compromise or at least imply that he cares and wants to listen to their side. So Mm -hmm. I guess the question I have left is just like, what do you think the next year of Reddit, the company will look like? You know, firstly, do you think Huffman will step down? And second, do you think they're going to move forward with this API pricing plan? Uh, good questions. Um, I am not sure if Huffman will step down anytime soon. I think he really wants to see this thing through. But what's interesting now is that it's not just Redditors who are like upset with him. Uh, Business Insider recently reported that a lot of employees in uh, Reddit's offices are really not happy with the way he's leading things and charging forward with the business. And I think that, in general, Reddit's corporate structure is also going to remain a mess going down the line, and that's going to trickle down to its other services. And it's very likely, I think, that he will, like, fire or lay off more people down the line and leave Reddit with even fewer resources than it had before. And as for the API pricing plan, that is officially in place. It went into effect uh, at the end of last month. And as I mentioned, Apollo, Reddit is fun. Some of these um, Bacon Reader, they're they're dead. They're gone now. 
And I'm sure that there are some places that are going to try to make it work. There are some third-party apps like Narwhal that are going to try subscription plans for their own uh, third-party apps to cover those API costs. But I find it hard to believe that that will be sustainable either for them or for Reddit. And I think no matter what, even if somehow like Sam Altman from OpenAI writes them a big check to use their stuff for ChatGPT, it's still not going to be enough. Like Reddit's aiming for billions and billions of dollars. It loses billions and billions of dollars every year. It doesn't even make a half billion dollars in one year. I just don't see a viable path forward for Reddit as a profitable business. I think down the line, investors will understand that too. And I don't think like Reddit is going to necessarily die or crash anytime soon, but I think there will be a similar trajectory with Twitter as we're seeing where it's going to be a slow death, a slow slide in reputation, usability, and until it basically becomes what it never wanted to be and be like a dig where it's basically a shell of its former self. If you want to read more of Natisha's article, it's called Steve Huffman Wants to Be God of the Mods, and you can find that at Slate.com. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify, and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, who the freak is Steve Huffman? <laughs> and you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Candace Lim, and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's Vice President of Audio. See you online. Or on Spill.